0: You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The legend continues. Welcome back to Locked on Rockets, the only daily podcast covering the NBA's best basketball team. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. By now, you probably are aware of what happened in Friday night's game, Rockets 104-103 winners over the Phoenix Suns. You would have never thought it would be that close, but ultimately, the way it finished more than made up for how sluggish the game was at various points. The winner, of course, Gerald Green at the buzzer, the first buzzer beater of his career, the first buzzer beater of this great Rockets season that is now 62-14 and 14 on the year through 76 games, magic number of just one over Toronto to clinch home court advantage throughout the NBA playoffs. For Gerald, could not be happier with, for him, his first start with the Rockets this season, and to finish it off with a buzzer beater, even after not shooting well at the jump, It just sticks to a theme that we have seen throughout the season for the Rockets, which is that persistence pays off. They put their heads down, they keep working, and even if things are not going their way, they don't get discouraged. And ultimately, this was a game not a ton on the line, with the Rockets having clinched number one in the West the night before, with the giant separation between the Rockets and Raptors, clinching home court throughout is essentially a question of when rather than if. There was a malaise early in the game. It felt like no one could throw the ball in the ocean, especially the starting backcourt of James Harden and Gerald Green. Just 2 of 15 to start, but ultimately their persistence paid off. Each had huge threes in the final 20 seconds, and ultimately that's why the Rockets got the win. Not one that you really celebrate that much against a Phoenix team, but let's be honest, is not very good. Now 19-58 and on the year, But I think to lead off the show, I want to touch on the two guys who had the late heroics. Certainly they provided the fun at Toyota Center, so we'll lead there. And then as the show progresses, we'll also talk about a couple of key veterans, P.J. Tucker and Joe Johnson, who had under-the-radar contributions in this game. And then we'll finish up by discussing what went wrong, which is why the game between the 62 and 14 Rockets and 1958 Suns was that close to begin with. But to lead off, I'm going to discuss what happened in the final 20 seconds, because... Folks, if you were at Toyota Center, which I was, even against the Suns in the game that didn't mean a lot on paper, it was actually one of the more fun games of the entire year. It always is when there's a buzzer beater. But I thought it was especially good to see the two guys that kept shooting, Harden and Green, get rewarded for it. And to some degree, they had no choice. The Rockets were down by as much as 21 points in this game. Also, with both Chris Paul and Eric Gordon out due to planned maintenance, we'll talk about that in the third segment, in which we discuss what went wrong then it's not like the Rockets had a lot of other creators. They simply had to keep shooting, but they did, and ultimately they were rewarded for that. We have said throughout the season at various points that there are certain members of the Rockets, especially Ryan Anderson, when they go into a slump, Mike D'Antoni wants them to keep shooting. He trusts them that eventually they are going to get it straightened out, and we saw that in the game. Again, Harden and Green, a combined 2 of 15 to start. Yet by the end of the game, Harden, 28 points, 10 assists. 8 rebounds. Gerald, 15 points, including 4 made 3-pointers. This is a perfect example of why throughout the year you'll see D'Antoni get a little miffed at Ryan Anderson or other veterans. He's the first that comes to mind. But anyone who won't take the open shots. Because really the only sin in a Mike D'Antoni offense is you not being willing to take that. Ultimately, even if things are not going your way, they believe that things are ultimately going to turn around. Now for James Harden, it was an up-and-down night, 28 points, 10 assists, 8 rebounds, shot just 8 of 21 from the field and 1 of 8 from 3. He also left 6 free throws at the line, made just 11 of 17, although I'm not worried about that. If you want to worry about James Harden missing free throws, I suppose you can, but ultimately he's going to get that figured out. That's just not worth losing any sleep over. If there's one thing to nitpick with James one of eight from three. He finished the five-game homestand just five of 34. So maybe you're seeing some regression to the mean. The good news is that if James is regressing to the mean, it's happening at the same time that Eric Gordon is ascending to the mean. We've talked about how Eric Gordon shooting nearly 47% from three in the 15 games he has played since coming back from the All-Star break and the layoff with the food poisoning. So, In my opinion, are you seeing some regression from James? Possibly. For the season now, James is shooting 36.4% from behind the arc. You know what he averages for his career from behind the arc? The exact same, 36.4%, down to the same decimal point. So maybe Harden is regressing a little bit. Reality, the balance of his NBA career suggests that James is certainly an above average a good shooter from behind the arc. He's just not elite. But that's fine. It's not like the Rockets were counting on him for that during this season. So if he falls back, the hope is that guys like Eric Gordon pick up their level of play, and that's what's happened lately. So even if there's some regression from Harden, you're seeing an ascension at the same time from Eric. Just unfortunately, he was out Friday night. Uh, Ultimately, the game did not mean a whole lot, so I'm completely understanding why the Rockets went that route. But big picture, I think as long as you're seeing other guys get back to where they shoot for their careers. Then Harden shooting thirty six and a half percent. If that in fact is his norm, is just fine. Now you do want to see him get into some rhythm before the playoffs, but that's what these last six games are for. That's why they're not going to put the guys in bubble wrap. If the season, the postseason, were starting right now, I don't think Harden likes exactly where his shot is at, especially not just the threes. We mentioned uh, the six missed free throws as well. I think he wants to get better over the next couple of weeks. Get his shot back in form, and I think ultimately that's what he's going to do. But the good news for James, despite just one of eight overall from three, the one he made was the last one, a filthy sidestep move, Rockets down three with under 20 seconds to go to tie the game, thought that that might send into overtime, then Josh Jackson hit a shot with 1.4 seconds left, and that set up the heroics from Gerald Green on an out-of-bounds play to hit the three as time expired. You've probably seen the replay tons of times by now, but if you wanted even more, we've got the call from Craig Ackerman synced up with the video that's on our website at lockdownrockets.com, courtesy of Clutch fans who did great work syncing up the Craig Ackerman radio call with the final play. But as far as Harden, who hit the, the last shot, I think it speaks to the fact that even on a night that he started 0-7, he kept shooting, and ultimately when the Rockets needed him most... He delivered, he's the reason they tied it, and he's the reason that they even had a chance in the final 1.4 seconds, down just two points, that Gerald Green could win it. Then, of course, the final three for Green, similar theme to with James, we mentioned both of those guys, two of 15 combined to start, it wasn't just missing threes, they also missed a handful of layups inside, but Gerald, of his four made threes tonight, three of them came in the fourth quarter, including, of course, on the game winner. As far as that game winner, certainly a great shot by Gerald. I was really impressed by the poise Trevor Ariza showed on the inbounds. Now, it was a great play drawn up by Mike D'Antoni. The Rockets all gave credit to him after the game, and it's good to see the Rockets succeed in that situation. They haven't had too many of those this year, in which... You have less than five seconds and the game is on the line. You've got to draw up a play. But Mike D'Antoni is longly known as a strong X's and O's coach, especially on the offensive side. So it's good to see the Rockets get some experience, especially with it being positive experience. But as far as the play, I thought you saw a lot of poise from Trevor Ariza as the inbounder. I thought the play was initially drawn up for Harden. P.J. Tucker set a screen on Tyler Eulis And for a split second, Harden did have some daylight. What happened? Josh Jackson saw Eulis getting screened and he was peeling off to go on to Harden. And Ariza saw what was happening, which is jo- uh, not Joe, uh, Josh Jackson peeling off of Gerald Green to help on Harden. So Trevor waited for Jackson to commit. He read his eyes. Jackson committed to Harden and that left Green darting into the quarter. Marquise Chris. As a big, not nearly quick enough to contest all the way out to the three-point arc, especially with Green essentially on the move, Ariza got it to him at the right spot, and Gerald made his third three-pointer of the quarter, and just a fabulous moment, mobbed in front of the bench. There is no one more Houston than Gerald Green, so for him to get that moment in his first start of the season in front of his home fans at Toyota Center, goosebumps. It was incredible. There were a lot of things the Rockets did wrong in this game. Certainly, almost losing to a Phoenix Suns team that's 19 and 58. Not good. We'll discuss it later in the podcast. But for segment one, tip your hat to James Harden and especially Gerald Green. That was a fun night at Toyota Center. And because of those two, their willingness to keep shooting, the Rockets ultimately 62 and 14. Now winners of 11 in a row, 28 of. 29, 32 of their last 34, and they're in a position today to clinch home court advantage throughout the playoffs with one Toronto loss, courtesy of those final heroics from James Harden and Gerald Green. Now, Harden and Green get a lot of talk, and rightly so. Some moments in NBA games are bigger than others. There are some minutes that are not just one of 48, and perhaps it's good, even against a not-good opponent in Phoenix that the Rockets got some experience late in a close game and had to execute. That's something that they have not really had that much of, especially on this homestand when they've just been mauling, for the most part, overmatched opponents. New Orleans, Atlanta, Chicago. Maybe it's good that they got some experience. But ultimately, the Suns, we'll talk about them more in segment 3 There's some talented players. You look at guys like Josh Jackson, a top five pick. Marquise Chris, a lottery pick. It's not that these guys are talentless. Troy Daniels, 23 points, seven made three-pointers, seven of his first nine. We have seen Troy Daniels in Houston. He is capable of taking over a game offensively for brief stretches. Won't happen that often, but if you happen to find yourself on the wrong end of a hashtag Troy Daniels revenge game, which the Rockets did on Friday night, it can be fairly daunting. So Harden and Green... They did the heavy lifting in that final minute, and that's big. But there were two guys who, over the balance of the first 46, 47 minutes, that actually had very key moments just to keep the Rockets in contact. I know that's an amazing statement against the Suns team that's won just 19 games. But it easily could have been a game in which the Rockets lost by a lot. They were down by 21. But they had two veterans that, in my opinion, did not let it happen. And those two, P.J. Tucker and Joe Johnson. P.J. Tucker, we'll start with him. 18 points, a career high, five made threes, and it just seemed like in the fourth quarter of that game, he was everywhere defensively. The Rockets allowed just 17 points in the fourth quarter, and of those 17, it felt like at least half came courtesy of wild heaves. Tyler Ulis hit like a 27-footer with a hand right in his face at the buzzer of the shot clock. Daniel House hit one in which he was falling down. Euless had another mid-range that was contested. Again, the Rockets held the Suns to just 17 points, and it felt like it easily could have been 10 or 11, if not for the Suns making some incredibly difficult shots. That's a testament to how strong the Rockets played defensively in the second half. Now, they weren't that, at that level the entire game. Suns were up 57-40 to 40 at the break for a reason. But when the Rockets wanted to buckle down, they showed an ability to do that. And I know the Suns are not a great team, But first, you did have a lot of guys that were in rhythm tonight, so give them credit. There's some talent. And beyond that, I don't care who you play, limiting them to 17 points in the fourth quarter, and really, it should have been less than that, if not for the Suns making some shots that they would usually miss, that's a testament to how much you want that game. And P.J. Tucker playing a, well, almost a game high. Harden played 38 minutes. This was one of the games we heard from Mike D'Antoni that there would occasionally be games in which Harden played 38 to keep his conditioning up, and it made sense for this to be one of them because with Chris Paul and Eric Gordon each resting, there were a lot of backcourt minutes to fill. But other than James Harden, P.J. Tucker played a game-high 34 minutes, and in those 34 minutes, he left it all on the floor. He made his three so lethal from the corners, even had one from the wing, but defensively, he left it all out there. Trevor Reza shot just one of six from three. I thought he was active defensively as well. And Gerald Green, we've discussed his revival defensively. Even though he didn't have any stat other than a few fouls, ultimately, he was very active as well. So for P.J., certainly he made the threes offensively, and especially early in the game, those were key. It seemed like he was the only guy that could throw it in the ocean for a while from three, and that kept the Rockets in contact. But defensively, I thought his energy was infectious. Rockets also got 25 minutes from Luke Bamute, his first game coming back from missing a week from tendonitis. But I would just say, in general, P.J. is the kind of guy... Some things defensively are hard to quantify, and certainly there are lots of metrics showing how good P.J. is by himself, but I would say it was a game in which when you see the competitive fire with which he plays, it can be infectious, and I thought P.J. was the leader defensively. We saw him guarding so many different types of players, everything from smalls to bigs. Whoever he was switched on to, that person was not going to score. P.J. was that much of a difference maker, and maybe it's a hashtag P.J. Tucker revenge game because, of course, he did spend a lot of time in his career in Phoenix. So overall, I would say P.J.'s defense every bit is valuable, if not more, than the, the career high five-made threes he made. Overall, a big-time difference maker on both ends, and it's great to see him, even after such a high workload this year, he's been one of the few constants still clicking this late in the year. Ultimately, though, I think the next phase of rest for the Rockets probably involves P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza, two of your veterans that have not gotten with the program just yet. I understand why you'd start with Harden and Capella on Tuesday and then... Paul and Gordon, those are probably your four most important players, but just as they're veterans, guys like P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza, they've done a lot of the heavy lifting as well, so my guess is the rest program moves to them in this coming week. Another guy besides P.J., another veteran, I should say, that was very important was Joe Johnson. He had a Houston high 16 points, a Houston high for him, I should say. Of course, James Harden led the team in scoring with 28, but Joe had... 16 points in just 21 minutes. What was most impressive for Joe, of the 16 points, 14 came in one four-minute stretch at the end of the third quarter, in which the Rockets cut the lead from 18 to 11, and that gave them a shot heading into the fourth quarter. It was very big. It also came, Harden was on the bench most of that, and without Eric Gordon to come in off the bench, without Chris Paul to anchor that second unit, the Rockets needed offense when James Harden went out of the game. There were not... Creators out there. So they had to go to Joe Johnson and he delivered, especially on the low block. Made a couple of shots down low, also got fouled, made a three. And for the game as a whole, he was plus eight in his 21 minutes, which was the most positive plus minus differential of the nine Rockets players who played. I don't think it's anywhere near a given, but in Thursday's show, we discussed the playoff decisions that Mike D'Antoni has to make regarding his rotation, and I said going into this weekend that I thought that Gerald Green had the upper hand on Joe Johnson, but based on Joe's history with Mike D'Antoni, there was an opportunity for Joe to win it back over the final seven games. Overall, I thought this was a step in the right direction for Joe. Now, Gerald had the heroics late in the game, so it's easy to forget, but on the balance of the game, I would say Joe was a little bit better. Now, I'm not saying that I would change my opinion based on one game, especially because In my opinion, the skills we saw from Joe, especially on the low block, would be slightly less important if you had Chris Paul and Eric Gordon out there. You have to think not just of what the player can do by themselves, but also how they fit into the context of your rotations. So, Gerald, especially if he gets hot from three again, we mentioned he hit three in the fourth quarter, then ultimately, between his athleticism, his energy, that might be a better fit around the three big perimeter creators in Harden, Paul, and Gordon. But, say what you will, the Rockets... Especially when Harden was out of the game tonight, they had no creators. They needed someone to step up. Joe Johnson did that, and it was a reminder that even at 36 years old, even in his 17th season, there's still that in him. I think there's still a long way to go as far as proving that he's more valuable than Cheryl for potential playoff rotation. There are still six games left to play, so maybe he'll do that. I think for now, though, it's good confidence for the Rockets. It came at a good time with those two other playmakers out. And tip your hat to Joe. Again, 14 points, the final four minutes of the third quarter, and that cut the lead from 18 to 11. That's what kept the Rockets close enough to where then in the fourth quarter you could feel them really tighten the screws defensively. They thought they had a chance because of how they were able to get close enough in the fourth quarter for them to think that the game was still there to be had. And I would say Joe Johnson taking over down the stretch of the third with Harden out of the game and the Rockets sorely needing any source of offense. It's nice to see that Joe, even though he just took two threes, made one of them, even if it's not just a matter of him getting hot from the perimeter, actually he showed you the ability that he can still create his own shot. And in today's NBA, even on a team as offensively dominant as the Rockets, although they weren't on Friday night, partially because of the personnel issues, it's nice to see that you have someone like that on your bench, at a bare minimum, it could be useful situationally in the playoffs. But depending on how he finishes the season, there might be a case for him to make that role even bigger than that. Also, don't forget, Ryan Anderson only played 17 minutes. I thought he passed up a lot of open shots in this game. It's entirely possible that you could see in the playoffs, the Rockets go what they did in Portland, which is in the second half, they didn't even play a backup center. Essentially, they've saw Ryan as a liability in the first half, so they ended up playing both Joe Johnson and Gerald Green. So sometimes it may not be just Joe versus Gerald for the last wing spot. It's entirely possible the Rockets would go ultra-small. You could see some tuck wagon lineups. So it's not just a matter of Joe needing to beat Gerald. That's the easiest path. There are other paths that Joe can earn minutes as well, and he needs to do it in more than just one game. But in general, he has. On this homestand, he scored at least nine points in all five games. Three of them, he was in double figures. It's been under the radar. The three-point shots still aren't falling that consistently. But he's making plays. He's getting to the line. He's still passing the ball well. His last four games, he's had three assists, four assists, five assists, three assists, and that's without playing more than 29 minutes in the game. When you have someone that can create their own offense, sees the floor as well as Joe does, and can put the ball in the hole on the low block, there's potentially a role for that. He still has to prove that this continues. Again, we're just talking about a successful five-game homestand that comes after a stretch on the road in which he was that very good on that three-game road trip at all. But I think we can at least be comfortable in saying step in the right direction from Joe and, quite frankly, they don't win that game Friday night without him. So salute to Joe and also to PJ as well. And that brings us to the final segment of our usual three-points recap, which is... Why was this game so hard to get, period, against a Phoenix Suns team that is 19-58? And And I hear y'all, I get where you're coming from. I would say certainly it starts defensively. You mentioned the Rockets turned it up in the fourth quarter. Well, 57 points in the first half allowed, and it seemed like there was just very, very little rim protection. I think rust may have been a factor. I don't think this was a great game for Clint Capella at all six points. Eight boards, played 34 minutes, but I thought his rim protection, especially early in the game, was lacking far too easy of lanes for the Rockets, I also, uh, or for the Suns, excuse me, on the Rockets. I also thought on the other end of the floor, the Suns' length posed some problems for Clint Capella. The, the Rockets were not able to get that lob game going. The Suns had a little more athleticism, and it's not that the Suns, as we said, are an untalented team. They're just very, very young, so I thought ultimately the Suns built up some confidence and in-game, they became a much more daunting opponent. You could see that bench starting to believe, and ultimately that kind of egged them on. But regardless of the reason, Capella was not especially good in this game, and I think some of it could be rust as well. When you're talking about the lob game that the Rockets play, Everything comes down to timing, and essentially these guys have not played since Sunday, especially James Harden and Capella. Both, I thought, seemed very rusty early in the game. So I think that's why you don't put guys in bubble wrap and rest them for essentially the remainder of the season, because it might not be pretty that first weekend if you send them back into the lineup after not or barely playing for a week or two. So I did think Harden and Capella, there was some rust early on with those two. Hopefully that's shaken off now, because my guess... Easter Sunday matinee against the Spurs, nationally televised on ABC. My guess is that you see most of the Rockets playing for that. I think the NBA would like that. Maybe you'll see a couple of veterans. Trevor Reese, and P.J. Chucker, the first to come to mind, get the day off. But hopefully Sunday, I think you'll have a more in-sync performance. I thought the rust was probably part of it. Also, defensively, we mentioned you give up 57 points. I thought there was a, as I said, just general malaise. The Rockets had clinched number one in the West, courtesy Golden State's loss on Thursday night, so not a ton of incentive for the Rockets. Good news, they were able to flip the switch, and even after digging a 21-point hole, they still did not quit, so kudos to that. I think a lot of teams, especially not being able to really earn that much with the win, would have gone quietly into the night. The Rockets did not, but I thought defensively that lagged in the first half. The real story, though, to me, was offensively. The Rockets had just 40 points in the first half. They ended up with 104, and that's because they scored 64 in the second. It was a woeful start for the Rockets, and I think what turned it around, we mentioned Joe Johnson in the last segment. The Rockets surely needed someone other than James Harden to be a playmaker in this game, especially because James Harden, the leading playmaker, and it took him until the fourth quarter to finally start making some shots. He started ice cold as well. And what's interesting to me, this was only the second game all year that both Chris Paul and Eric Gordon didn't play only the second game all year that the Rockets only had one of their three guards, being James Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon. The other was a Saturday night way back in October in Memphis, and not coincidentally, the Rockets lost that game 103-89 to against the Grizzlies team. That's not very good. And to me, it's very important, certainly the minutes that Harden doesn't play in the first half, the second half, Joe Johnson carried you through those minutes, but the first half, The offense got very ragged, but also in the minutes that Harden does play, it's so big to have a second playmaker out there because it makes your offense more diverse. There's more diversity to your attack and the ways you're able to initiate against a defense. With Harden and only Harden, especially with Harden clearly not feeling it from behind the arc, we mentioned in the first segment, him shooting just 5 of 34 from 3 on this homestand, the Rockets offense got very, very predictable. And if you had a second creator, there are other ways that you can go to generate offense, especially against a young team that is not especially aware. But even with a team with James Harden, if there are no other playmakers and Harden's not making his threes, there are only so many ways the Rockets could go to generate offense. And so a lot of this was personnel-based. Even last year, Eric Gordon was healthy most of the year. And so even though the Rockets didn't have Chris Paul, at least most games, we had James Harden and Eric Gordon. This one, you had James Harden and... What, Gerald Green, Joe Johnson, Luke Baamute? It was not pretty. Now again, I think some of these trends are made worse than they actually are because it's just converged with a rare, hardened, ice-cold stretch from behind the arc. But in general, I think it's very important. Ideally, you want to have all three of those guys out there. That's when the Rockets are at their best. But I think it's important to at least have two of them. Because all of a sudden, if you just have one of those three, and especially if that guy is not converting from behind the arc, well, there are only so many plays you can run. There are only so many ways you can initiate it, because it's not like Trevor Ariza and P.J. Tucker are miraculously going to turn into guys who can just create off the dribble. It's not like I'm able to just dump it down to Clint Capella and ask him to turn into Hakeem Olajuwon or Shaquille O'Neal. Those guys are what they are. The Rockets, in terms of creating the offense, it starts from the perimeter. It's a typical Mike D'Antoni scheme in that way, led by those three guards. It's important to at least have two of them, because if someone's cold, or if the defense just decides that they're going to hone in on a certain play, a certain action, then there are other ways you can attack. The Rockets, especially in the first half, I thought were very, very limited. Now, a big part of what happened in the second, now yes, Harden got going, that helped, but another part was Joe Johnson getting going, and so even if Joe is, no one's going to confuse him for Chris Paul or Eric Gordon, he at least gave you something from a creating standpoint. Now, the asterisk, and it's why I was saying I don't think that in and of itself pushes Joe ahead of Gerald Green, is because the what Joe gave you last night, it's nice, but how does it fit when all the pieces are back? Your need for Joe on the low block is probably slightly reduced if you have at least one, if not both, of Chris Paul and Eric Gordon out there in those minutes that James Harden is not playing. So as far as what that means for when the Rockets are at full strength, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully we get a chance to look at that Sunday in San Antonio. Would love for Joe to keep playing well and to make this a hard decision for the Rockets. But for now, the Rockets needed someone to step up. and In the second half, that to me was the biggest difference, 64 points versus 40. You had someone other than James Harden that could step up and create his own offense, I don't think that Mike D'Antoni, even during the game, regretted sitting both of those guys because, quite frankly, the Rockets had bigger fish to fry. Even if they had lost that game, maintenance was more important, getting guys rest because the number one seed is a formality. I don't think there was a point that he regretted it. But I just think it was a nice reminder during the game it's just how important having at least two playmakers is because when it was just Harden on Friday night, yeah, it was a struggle. And I think also defensively, Some of those guys, we mentioned Troy Daniels getting red hot. Tip your hat to the Suns. Troy Daniels, he had his revenge game on the Rockets, made seven of his first nine threes. We've seen him from time to time in his NBA career. He can carry a team. Josh Jackson, Marquise Chris, those are lottery picks for a reason. Tyler Eulis, 16 points, 12 assists, six rebounds. I actually thought the Rockets felt the absence of Chris and Eric on the defensive end as well, because in this game, you didn't really have any smalls. Your ability to pick up the the point guards, you had to have someone, James, Gerald, Trevor, Luke, even PJ from time to time on switches. But Tyler Eulis, kind of the quintessential jitterbug point guard, I thought the Rockets missing both Paul and Gordon was felt on the defensive end as well. Because you just didn't have smaller players with bursts that could really keep in front of Eulis on the penetration. And then, of course, Eulis also... He's a below 30% three-point shooter, but he made three three three-pointers, three of his seven on the night, including just a wild heave in the fourth quarter that it looked like for a few minutes was going to be the difference maker. Again, it's a team that is certainly not good, but it's not like there's not talent there. There's a lot of lottery picks, a lot of very talented young players, and if they all make their shots in a given night, which they did, they can be tougher. I think besides just making his shots, you can throw Troy Daniels into the mix with Eulis as well from the standpoint of a smaller guard. Of course, he wasn't creating off the dribble, but the way he moves through screens, he has very quick twitch movements and how he frees himself. And so I think the Rockets being kind of deficient in terms of their smaller, quicker players was felt not just on offense, a lack of playmakers, but defensively as well. But it's a good reminder that even bad teams in the NBA, they have talent. They played well. They wanted this game. And it looked like for the balance of 48 minutes, they were going to do it until heroics in the final 20 seconds from James Harden and Gerald Green were enough to survive. Not going to say it's a great win for the Rockets because it wasn't, but it was a very fun one. And ultimately, because it comes on the heels of three consecutive, not just wins, but dominant wins on this homestand. At this point, I'm going to treat it as a one-off combination of the maintenance of Chris Paul and Eric Gordon, the malaise from being the fifth and final game of a homestand against a not especially great opponent, I think there's going to be a lot more energy this next week because you're playing all quality teams, the Spurs, the Wizards, the Blazers, the Thunder. If you see some of these trends continue, you can worry about it then. But right now, to me, it's a classic one of 82. And in this NBA, even bad teams have games where they can be really good because even the worst NBA team has some players that are very, very talented and around the best in the world at what they do. To me, that was a lot of the story for Phoenix on Friday night. They played their hearts out. They played a whale of a game. Ultimately, the Rockets survived. They got the win. Tip your hat to Cheryl Green and James Harden. Thank them for rescuing you. And then my guess is Sunday in San Antonio, you see a Rockets team that's much closer to what we saw the first four games with this homestand rather than the last one. So until tomorrow, I think we can break right here. As always, thanks to you guys for listening to me here at Lockdown Rockets. If you want more content from me, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I am at Ben DuBose. show is at Locked Rockets. We've also got an email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com, a Facebook account at facebook.com slash Rockets, and a website at Lockdownrockets.com. Also, subscribe to us. Leave us a five-star review. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. search for Locked on Rockets. Leave us a good review. Leave us a positive rating. That's how we remain viable to advertisers as the only daily podcast covering the NBA's best basketball team. Also, if you subscribe to us, that's easy to find not just our current episode, but all of our archives. For example, Friday afternoon, we had a great conversation with Tad Brown, CEO of the Rockets, about a lot of bigger picture things. If you haven't heard that interview, please check that out. You can find it as I said, it's easy in our archives at the various platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, etc. But also go to Lockdownrockets.com. You can see the story there. I think if you y'all haven't heard it, you'll really appreciate the interview with Tad Brown. And before the playoffs start, I'm working on a couple of other great interviews as well that I think y'all will enjoy. So as always, stay tuned to me here at Lockdown Rockets. Anyway, until tomorrow when the Rockets have their Easter Sunday matinee against the Spurs, I will sign off. Again, the very happy final from Toyota Center Friday evening, Rockets 104, Suns 103. The win courtesy of a Gerald Green buzzer-beating three right at the gun. Rockets now 62-14 and on the year. Winners of 11 in a row, 28 of their last 29, and 32 of their past 34. Magic number down to just one game versus Toronto to clinch home court advantage throughout the NBA playoffs. So on that note, folks, have a wonderful and happy Saturday, and we'll be talking again tomorrow when the Rockets get back in action against the Spurs.